Right, let us read this text together that I am sure across the globe today there are many communities who are reading this very same text. Only we're going to read it in the message so it may not sound like those other folks who are reading it. 1 Corinthians 15, some excerpts from the passages between 35 and 57. Somebody is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this whole resurrection thing look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. But we do have a parallel from gardening. You plant a, quote, dead, end quote, seed. Soon there is a flourishing plant. There's no visual likeness between the seed and the plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at the seed. When we plant, what we plant in the soil doesn't look anything like what grows out of it. The dead body that we bury in the ground and what comes from it will be dramatically different. The image, this image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best, but perhaps it will help us approach this mystery of resurrection. The corpse that's planted may be no beauty, but raised we are glorious. We go into the ground weak, we come out the other side powerful. The seed sown is dead, the plant that grows is beyond death. They're the same, but they're very different. In this resurrection scheme of things, we're all changed. Everything perishable gets taken off the shelf and is replaced by the imperishable. The mortal is replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true. Death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, death? Oh, death, who's afraid of you now? So today we celebrate Easter. And as is our tradition in this community, I select some dimension of our story and retell it. And today, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to imagine what Easter was like from the perspective of those who experienced it for the first time. Today, we celebrate the centerpiece of our heritage, the centerpiece of what it means to follow Jesus. Going back into our Jewish heritage, the covenant with Abraham was at the center for a long time. And then our dramatic deliverance from Egypt. And as our history has moved into the experience of Jesus, this day becomes the new locus of meaning in our narrative. This is the day that bark is revealed to have no bite. The day that death is revealed for the paper tiger that it is. The day that defeat is overcome by hope. The day we caught a bigger vision of reality. The day that matter and blood and bone and muscle and sinew were revealed to not be the sum total of reality. Today is the day that anticipation is set before us. That life is bigger than we imagined. Now, Paul starts this text with a warning, which is a good warning for us, 
Because even back then, the temptation was to take something as grand as our Easter moment and reduce it down to a mechanical explanation. You want a drawing, he says. You want a sketch. You want a diagram. But this thing can't be reduced to a tidy little box like that. You want a doctrine. You want a belief system. You want to stand here and celebrate together something that we all share in common of a belief system and it just won't do. You want to limit this thing down to a rule, down to a canon, down to a dogma. It's just not that way. This is about experience. We experienced something in the spirit of the risen Christ. We experienced something, and that something was bigger than death. And that something was bigger than sin. We experienced an explosion of life that showed us that our previous reality was a shadow. We saw life but beyond what we used to think life was. We saw reality beyond what we used to think reality was. And blown, as our minds are, we can't lay this out for you in tidy explanations. No charts, no tables, no graphs. We're grappling for language to tell you about what we experienced. The best we have are metaphors. But here's one. Look out the window at your backyard to see your garden. When you hold a seed, it appears to have no life in it, and yet... When you put it into the ground and it dies, if you hadn't seen this a thousand times before, you would just be, have your mind blown. You would have never dreamed of the kind of life that would explode next out of that seemingly dead seed that now has died. And our experience of Jesus, they said, our experience of the spirit of the risen Christ, this is about the best way that we have to talk about it, to explain it. These times that we live these lives that we live, these days that we live, bound inside the limits of time, bound inside the limits of these three dimensions of length and width and height, as we are, these lives that we think of as alive are like that seed. It turns out that these are shadows of something bigger that we had not seen. Nothing could have prepared us for this expectation. Nothing could have prepared us for what we experienced in the spirit of the risen Christ. Nothing could have prepared us for the hope that is set before us. We can't really describe it for you. We can't chart it out for you. We can't fit it into a creed, though for goodness sakes we've tried over these centuries. But all we know is that we experienced something they said to us. And we now believe that death and sin, and alienation, and fear, and division, and hatred, and narrow-heartedness. These are not the final word. There is life beyond what we used to assent to as life. Now John, in his writings, used the term eternal life. And we, in our culture, in our language, think of that as meaning eternal, meaning a non-ending chronology of moments. One moment after another moment after a moment after another moment. And when we translate that word into our language, that is what it sounds like, but that's not what John intended when he said it. When he said the term eternal life, he meant beyond life, life. Beyond the limits that we contain life, unrestricted life, what we saw in Jesus, life. And now, 
these early ones from our journey speak back to us across the centuries and say our hearts have become permanently infected with hope. Our hearts have become permanently infected with hope. The seed lives that we live, this seed world that we live in, these seed wounds that we carry within ourselves, they all go into the ground looking like something that we used to call death. But now we have seen something in Jesus, and we don't know exactly what it is, but it makes us think that what we thought was death is not what we thought it was. It is nothing to fear. Death, where is your sting? Death, now we realize you are not our enemy. Death, now we see you don't hurt us. Death, now we realize that the power we thought you had is nothing to fear at all. Death, there's no victory in you. Life wins. And all they had to say really was, wow. We don't even have language to talk about it. We don't have understanding to explain it. So that's something of the testimony that was left for us by those who experienced this day so long ago. But that experience was just the beginning. That didn't just reframe dead bodies for them. It didn't just infuse them with hope that one day we would see life beyond this seed life. Really, it changed their experience of every moment, every day in this life in the seed life because they lived these days differently because of what they had experienced they weren't just waiting for their three score and ten years to expire so they could start out on this new life they began to live in this new dimension that they had experienced in spirit of the risen Christ and by all accounts of those first 300 years of our tradition, they did just that. They lived profoundly differently. If hope is not foolish, if darkness does not win, if insecurity and fear are not the final word, if rejection at the hand of others that wounds us so deeply is not ultimate reality, if the feelings of being unloved or uncherished is not the realest real, if the wounds that we sustain in our lives are not ultimacy, well, that changes things. It changes how we see things. It changes how we live. It changes how we respond to things. It changes what we look for. And if we change what we look for, it changes what we find. Because in this context, they begin to realize how big God reality is. It's bigger than the seed life that I thought it was. They begin to realize how full the universe is of this God love that sustains it. It's bigger than this little seed image that I had in my mind. They begin to realize how empty their fears were. Because now, if this is true, that I have seen, that I have experienced, if my body is to be crushed, if my body is to be burned, if I am starved, if I am beaten, I'm safe. I'm free. 
I'm alive. And as a consequence, I don't have to live this desperate, squinty-eyed grab for a life that I used to live or that most people live. I can begin to live with an open heart and with an open hand, lovingly, graciously. And again, by all accounts, that is exactly what they did when they experienced life beyond this life. Once they had seen what they had previously not seen, it changed everything. When this happens, I don't have to make protecting myself my primary life project. I don't have to orient my whole life around that purpose, around the purpose of protecting my dignity or protecting my wealth or protecting my reputation or protecting my body or protecting my career or protecting my advancement or protecting my cherished image of myself. I don't have to do that. I don't have to look out only for myself because it turns out I'm safe. Nothing can take away my intrinsic safeness. So, when they throw me to the lions, death has no sting. When they beat me, when they crucify me, it hurts like crazy. But it's not the last word. I'm safe. And so that changes how I live my life. That changes how I relate to my children. That changes how I relate to the world around me. That changes how I relate to my enemies. I find myself able to hear those crazy words that Jesus was saying, that loving my neighbor is loving myself. That loving my enemy is no threat. I am safe. That we are a oneness together. We are safe. God is good. I am am safe. Well, that changes things. And when they experienced Jesus this way, and as each generation from that one until this has experienced Jesus this way, hope becomes the realest part of our reality. It isn't wishful thinking. It has become the very locus of Christian experience. It's an experience, not a doctrine. It's an experience, not a creed. It's an experience that hope is bigger than the hurt that I experience so deeply. It's the experience that hope is bigger than my loneliness. It's the experience that hope is bigger than my inner compulsions. That hope is bigger than the brokenness in my relationships. That hope is bigger from the shamefulness of my past. That hope is bigger than my addictions. Hope is bigger. And this is rooted in an experience, not a second-hand word. And so, in the throes of this experience, that generation so many years ago started to use another word, a word to describe that experience. And they began to use the word salvation. In this experience, they said, we are saved. Saved from the shadow world that we had been living in. Saved from the illusion that death was the final word. 
saved from the despair that plagues the human condition when we realize that we are these immortal beings and yet we face an imminent death saved from the despair that plagues us. Saved from the empty cycles in which we had been living when our God was not good and when we were not safe, that we had to scrabble in order to carve out some love for ourselves, had to fight in order to win some worth for ourselves, had to struggle in order to keep ourselves and our cherished views of ourselves safe. But now we realize there is nothing to fear. We are safe. And in this experience of the Spirit of the risen Christ, we are saved. Now, just as Paul warned us would happen in this text, through the years, from those years to these, it has been our temptation to try and reduce this experience down to a diagram, down to a plan, down to a scheme. Today, we don't talk about the experience that saves us. We talk about the plan of salvation. We don't tend to talk about this exploding experience of life beyond life that has so deeply transformed me. We talk about the plan of salvation. And if Paul were here today, he would probably say, whoa, whoa, my friends, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant. It's an experience. You cannot reduce it down to a religious belief. It's not really something that you can make happen because you pray a prayer or something that you could make happen because you assent to a doctrine. No, it's something that happens to you. It's something that happens in you. It's something that awakens inside of you when you see what you had not seen and the seeing changes everything. Those many years ago, our ancestors were trying to describe this experience and these many years later, we have reduced their descriptions to doctrines. Now, they used a lot of images to try and talk about their experience, their experience of salvation. And if you go to our theology books, you can find all of those words that they use to describe all those experiences kind of put under the category of theories of the atonement, systems by which we have come to regulate and make, bring into conformity our belief. But back in the day when they were descriptions of experience, they went something like this. It's so true. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was wandering. I was frightened. I was controlled by a lesser reality. As a result, I treated people in a way that today makes no sense to me at all. I was disconnected from the indwelling breath of God. I was alienated from the Spirit of God that is with me, and some part of me knew that things weren't right. I had some vestige of memory that there is a place that is my heart's true home, but I couldn't get there. I felt this sense of disconnectedness. I couldn't find it, but this experience of life beyond life that I experienced in the spirit of the risen Christ that has exploded inside of me now, well, it feels like I have found hearth and home after having wandered in the dryness of insignificance and having wandered in the dryness of bitterness and vice and anxiety. In this experience, in this life beyond life experience, I am found, God found me, I was a lost sheep, I was wandering, a shepherd came for me, I was lost, and now I'm found, and I am saved. Another image they use to talk about their experience is, I was weak, but now I'm strong. The things that I really want to do, I can't steadfastly do them. 
And the things that I really don't want to do, I've got no problem sticking with them very well. But my experience of life beyond life is changing that. I am able to do things that I could never do before. The fear is gone. All the life that was being sucked out of me by trying to make myself safe, by trying to make myself love-worthy, by trying to make myself good and trying to make myself validated to prop up the belief system that I had inside that made me believe that I was good, all that strength that I was spending doing that has become irrelevant. I don't have to do that anymore. That strength has been restored to me. I don't need to do that stuff anymore. And it feels like I can do all things now through Christ who is within me that strengthens me. I was so weak and now I am finding myself becoming strong I am saved or a third image that they used is it's like I was blind and now I can see I missed so much of life it looked like that's all that there was but then I experienced this life beyond life in Jesus and it was like my blind eyes began to see I see it now divine love is so lavish so ever-present God is good I am safe I'm not blinded anymore and the tired old systems that used to dominate so much of my life these have been unmasked the old systems of selfishness that I had to keep propping up, the old systems of revenge and payback, the tit-for-tat system that I had in order to make myself feel good, in order to keep myself even in the pecking order, the old systems of judging someone else so that I could elevate my own interior sense of worth, I see now that they felt so real at the time, but they're just not real anymore. And now I can see them for the emptiness that they are. For the shadows that they are, I was blind, and now I can see I am saved. Now all three of those come under that category in the theology books of theories of the atonement. That's where you find them. But they are descriptions of an interior experience. And in those early years of our tradition, we didn't have doctrines about getting saved we had a collection of images and stories to talk about the profound change we were experiencing. Our broken souls were healing, and we needed to talk about it. Our fractured relationships were being restored, and we needed to talk about it. The alienated and the rejected among us were being included. The cast-offs were being loved. The untouchable were being touched. And we needed to talk about it, and we used the word being saved to talk about our experience, our experience of life beyond life. And this Easter, in this community, this many years later, I don't want us to settle for anything less than the full experience that is embodied in our tradition. I don't want us to reduce the glory that we celebrate today to giving mental consent to the right doctrine of salvation. I don't want us to reduce our spiritual quest to a belief system, to settle for the finer and finer points of doctrine that a second-hand hearing of the experience would tell us after century upon century of theologizing. I want us to long for and to seek for to ask, to knock, and to keep on asking, to keep on knocking 
until the experience that we have is the same kind of reality-blowing thing that generation after generation have experienced. As they experienced the same spirit that was manifest in the risen Christ. I want us to experience the same surety that they did. Because here's the bedrock of Easter. God is good and you are safe. And I don't want us to rest until those words have meaning inside of us. Until we can say, yes, it's, it's like they said, I did feel lost, but I have found my heart's true home. It is like they said, I was weak, but I have found strength that I didn't know was within me. I was blinded, but I have seen what I had not seen before. I am saved, being transformed day by day. C.S. Lewis wrote a book that's very well known, Mere Christianity, and in it he says this. He said, before I walked into this Christian journey, I thought the first duty of every Christian was that you had to believe a particular doctrine about what the death of Jesus meant. But he said, now that I've been here a while, I realized that I've come to understand that that's not necessary at all. As a matter of fact, one can experience being saved and have no understanding of doctrine at all. Listen to this quote. He said, sensible people know that when they are weak or hungry, they need a meal. Theories of nutrition, theories of vitamins, theories of proteins got hashed out long time after the simple wisdom that we eat when we are hungry. And I think that's a great way of thinking about our tradition. We find something. It satisfies a deep longing inside of us. And if we have a mind to, after that, we can go theologize about it should we desire. But that's not the point. The point is the transformative experience in which our hope rests. So today is Easter. And Easter would not be complete without an invitation to salvation. And that is exactly what I offer you today. An invitation. That you would make a prayer for salvation. Not consent to a doctrine. Not fit into the plan for salvation. But experience the Spirit of God finding you wherever you are lost. Experience the Spirit of God giving you vision at a point where you are blind. Experience the Spirit of God within you awakening to you to a strength at some point of weakness. That yours would be a quest. That your prayer would reflect that quest. And it would be informed by those who have gone before us in this journey. That your spiritual quest would transcend doctrinal reduction that the centuries have imposed on us. And that yours would be a quest to experience the spirit of the risen Christ. That you would look and keep on looking until you get a glimpse of life beyond life. That you would ask and keep on asking until there explodes within you sight beyond sight. Until your eyes have seen that life is not reduced to the seed world in which we live. Until your eyes have seen the limits of the reduced little reality that 
we have imposed upon ourselves until you see the fundamental truth of our tradition that yours is a good God and that you are safe and in the seeing you are saved and your daily life is transformed by the experience and I pray that it would be so among us in Jesus name Amen